With sports car racing news from around the globe, this is the Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me for our first regular episode of 2019. Hope you guys enjoyed all of our year in review episodes the last few weeks, but Ready to dive into it now because we've got the roar before the 24 starting in just a few days' time. So, John, ready to catch up on some of the news, uh, talk some IMSA as well, and then preview the roar? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Let's start by talking about the the news of the last few weeks, some of the biggest uh, topics that we haven't had a chance to get to because of our year in review episode. Segment two will be maybe a synopsis of Silly Season, basically where we are going into the IMSA season, which gets uh, underway more or less with the War Before the 24 this week. We'll go team by team, tell you what we know and what questions still remain to be answered. We'll do that in segment two. And finally, in segment three, it will be a preview of this weekend's activity at Daytona. Uh, but let's start with some news here, John, and uh, wanted to touch base on where we stand in the WEC with the hypercar regulations um, that were released a few weeks ago. I uh, haven't had a chance to discuss with you the details of those regulations. First of all, what uh, are some of the salient points, and then we'll dive into maybe what uh, what we might think the direction of this might be headed with various manufacturers who might be interested. Yeah, I think that with the release of the regulations, we saw everything sort of put on paper officially for the first time. There, there was obviously a lot of talk through the summer months over what the regs will look like, um, some evolutions, some proposals. And it, it seems that, the, you know, manufacturers have finally agreed upon and the FIA and ACO, of course, have agreed upon a platform that will be seen debut in the 2020-2021 World Endurance Championship season. Um, basically, low-level hybrid um, front-wheel drive hybrid with a rear-wheel drive with an internal combustion engine. Um, no engine size limit, so similar to what we have today with LMP1, um, non-hybrid or hybrid. But ultimately, lap times will be slower. The cars are bigger. They're wider. They're um, taller, I believe, as well. Um, improved uh, safety measures inside the cockpit. And, and more, most importantly, um, I, I think costs are, are, are a big thing. They've, they've reduced the, the target cost, I believe, to around 20, 15 to 20 million euro a season for a two-car team. So a lot of interesting measures, you know, in, in the release of these regs. Um, I know it came out about a month ago since uh, we, we were uh, doing the season review shows all through December. But, um, yeah, I, I think some of the bigger things that sort of stand out is a, a single tire supplier in the top class. I think we sort of saw that coming. There's been talk of maybe that being imposed for all uh, categories of the WEC by by 2020 2021. Um, I don't think it'll be a, an exclusive tire provider for all four categories, but rather a separate manufacturer for each of the four. Um, also, success ballast uh, we've seen uh, implemented into the hypercar regs, much like what we've seen with the GTE AM uh, class will be for the next uh, WEC season and in 2019 for ELMS. Um, so that's an interesting thing. I, I know that's caused a lot of uh, uh, talk on social media and a lot of opinions going back and forth over whether that should be merited or not. But um, yeah, and I think one of the bigger confusion points initially when these hypercar regs came out was was the fact of, of this production requirement. Um, 
it was outlined in the rules that, you know, a, a manufacturer needs to create 25 powertrains and or hybrid systems in order for those units to be eligible for competition in the hypercar class. Well, it turns out that that only t- applies to production-based engines or ERS systems, hybrid systems, and any manufacturer, any constructor could build their own bespoke unit for these rules as well. So lots of stuff to comb through. I think our, our Dan Lloyd did a, a brilliant job uh, trying to follow everything through the early months of December because it was a, a bit of a crazy uh, time when everything was sort of put to paper and, and formally announced. Yeah, which is why I thought it would be good to at least mention a little bit uh, what what some of those details were, because now we've had some time to to digest that and answer some of the questions that weren't immediately answered by the release of the regs. Um, I think that brings us to to kind of where we are now, and the big question mark still is just who is interested. I think Toyota is one that comes to mind. We've uh, had stories uh, from from James Glickenhouse talking about the interest on their side of being involved. Really though this is going to need big time OEM involvement in my opinion to work do you see it the same way and if so who might be waiting in the wings uh, with interest maybe if not for the first year then for subsequent years of these regs yeah, we definitely have interest. There's no doubt about that. And we have some people already committing. Um, like you said, Glickenhouse has laid out plans to to build a, a car for these regulations. Um, we also had the story that Baikalis is in the process of doing the same. They've actually uh, put a recruitment uh, uh, campaign out for um, hybrid engineers and special mechanics for this um, program. So those are two good privateer programs that we sort of see confirmed. I'm sure we'll have you know, somebody along the lines of a rebellion or an SMP also um, seriously looking at, at this platform. But uh, it's manufacturers that'll drive it. It's manufacturers that'll bring this top class back to the spotlight and, and put, trying to, you know, bring it back to the glory days, per se, of what we saw in, in the hybrid era. Uh, I think right now um, we should expect an announcement from Toyota uh, potentially next month um, during their annual uh, auto show or their uh, motorsports festival in Japan. I think they're a, a, a pretty locked-in, you know, favorite to, to uh to commit, you know, much of the regulations are influenced by them. Um, so it's, it's a very likely we'll see them on the grid in 2020, 2021. Also, Aston Martin, I think we can expect to see them as well. All signs are pointing towards a, a hypercar, um, potentially backed by maybe some outside sources. There, there's been some rumors of Red Bull um, potentially looking to either expand or, or move away from Formula One and um, something along the lines of the Valkyrie AMR could be a perfect platform for them given the, the associations in, in F1 and Adrian Newey and all, all that sort. But every, not confirmed yet. Um, that's still, you know, still under discussion. Uh, we also have a couple other manufacturers where I think it's possible either for the first year or the second year. Um, that's McLaren and Ferrari. Ferrari's kind of been a bit elusive through through this whole process because they, they weren't that interested in the beginning. Um, we had reports that they weren't actually in the meetings. They denied those claims later on. We don't know who's stating the truth, but um, as of now, we understand that they have been in recent meetings at least.
least, and they are definitely interested. Um, whether there's a full commitment or not um, totally remains to be seen on that front. And on the McLaren side, I, I think that if we would see a, a McLaren hypercar, it probably would be for either the second half of the first season in starting in 2021 or even waiting to the entire season two uh, in 2021, 2022. And, and those are more or less the, the leaders, I think, in, in where the interest lies right now. There could be a couple others in, in the background, you know, keeping a close eye. But in order to get cars on the grid for 2020, I, I think you need, to, you need to be acting now. You need to be making a decision in the next 60 days and then start building, start, you know, building up the infrastructure to, to make this happen. And another interesting point is that LMP1 non-hybrids, the cars we see today from Baikalis, SMP, um, Rebellion, they'll be grandfathered into the new rules. Um, ACO President Pierre Fion confirmed that to our Dan Lloyd um, right when these uh, regs were announced. So um, it'll be a bit interesting, at least for the first year, because you're going to have prototypes in their purest sense um, BOP'd, you know, pegged back performance-wise to these new hypercars, which will look more like a, you know, something completely different nothing nothing like a prototype and not really like a gt per se either so uh, try explaining that to the fans that those two type of cars will be able to race against each other for the first season but um, i guess you got to have some kind of entrance point in, in trying to figure out how to introduce the, the this new platform yeah, definitely. It, uh, it, it's a little bit of a safeguard in terms of car count, too, if the manufacturers are a bit slow to come into the fold for the upcoming season. So plenty to keep an eye on for that, and make sure you check out the website for all the latest hypercar news. Other news from Europe, uh, the successful constructor Onroke has long been associated with, uh, with the Ligier name and now has undergone a rebrand to bring that tie even closer. In fact, the, the company will be known now as Ligier Automotive. Yeah, the news came through on Monday on New Year's Eve that uh, Onroke Automotive, as well as its other um, companies under the Jacques Nicolet umbrella, um, including Oak Racing, Sodomo, and Torque Engineering, it's all going to be known as uh, Liget Automotive. And um, that's some big news there for, for the industry, um, sort of aligning all of their brands they have acquired over the time. Uh, Onroke Automotive was one of their house brands per se, um, as well as Oak Racing. Actually, Oak came from a previous team, Solnier Racing, um, uh, that was an, a longtime open-wheel outfit and uh, was run by the, the, the then Peugeot LMP1 team manager who had to relinquish it um, during his duties um, in that role. I think that was 2007 or 2008. And that's how this all sort of got started. Um, Jacques Nicolet bought the team. He was a, a gentleman driver and had a real passion for racing. And it sort of just built on from there. His empire has um, grown through multiple continents, multiple countries. Um, Onroke Automotive USA becomes Liget Automotive USA, headed under Max Crawford. And um, there's also been some changes behind the scenes as well in terms of where everything is going to be set up and, and personnel as well. Um, we understand that Philippe Dumas, who was the, the team principal for um, Onroke Automotive, kind of the, the guiding force for all of its uh, motorsports operations, both from the constructor and even from the team um, perspective. He's no longer with the company. And uh, at the same time, Sebastian Metz, who was in charge of the LMP3 program from Onroke, um, which is based out of Magnicore, I believe, he's moved over to Multimatic. And we also hear that um, Onroke's Lama facility 
may no longer be operational soon. So um, they're sort of moving things around, strategically placing, um, you know, new assets, new and existing assets in, in, in uh, to sort of maybe make it a little more optimized and um, good to see that, that, that this is happening. But obviously, it has resulted in some changes. Definitely big news from the industry side, no doubt about it. Let's get to a couple of IMSA stories here before we close out our first segment. Uh, first one I wanted to touch on was something that we've known for a while was likely, but uh, with the split classes, DPI and LMP2, we have word that DPI will indeed get a power increase for 2019. Uh, so maybe we'll get a chance for the first time effectively to, to see what these DPI machines can do with uh, somewhat less restriction. Yeah, so an expected development, I would say, with, with DPI, with, with uh, a power increase for 2019 amid the split with LMP2, um, it's not that much of a power increase. Maybe people are expecting a little more, but I think it sort of brings them up more or less to the levels of what it was atten- intended for at the start of the 2017 season. Um, we've seen changes there with fuel capacity, power levels, um, uh, some aero adjustments to the Mazda. That, that car's sort of gone on an evolution of sorts, especially with the motor. Uh, you could check out the full story on, on Sports Car 365 with all the details. But um, yeah, I, I think it was expected and, and uh, we'll have to really see what this means. And IMSA can also make further adjustments between now and the race after, after the roar. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of data um, number crunching uh, in, in the week after the mandatory test this coming weekend. Yeah, I'm interest, interested to see what some of the times look like at the roar. And maybe one of the storylines to keep an eye on is whether or not this power increase throughout the course of the season helps one of the OEMs or or maybe hinder some of the others. It'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on that. Final story is uh, an encouraging one in terms of car count for IMSA. It looks like a real possibility of capacity fields at some of the rounds in the championship, in the WeatherTech championship in 2019, owing largely to increased car count, but also to limited pit space at certain circuits. Yeah, um, I think this was a on the radar screen for a while, considering the growth we've seen, particularly in GT Daytona, um, with the introduction of the WeatherTech Sprint Cup for next year, there's quite a few teams that have announced or have you know made intentions of, of running sprint-only races, and those incorporate two of the tracks with the least amount of pit space, uh, Mid-Ohio and uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Both of those tracks somewhere in the high 30s to low 40s, let's just say f- between 40 and 42, you could probably pack in there. And right now, there is 37, I think, full season entrants, not counting any possible uh, Sprint Cup entries. I think there's at least five or six of those. So you're really knocking right at that number of, of maximum entries. And uh, IMSA ended up putting a little statement out, you know, acknowledging this and basically hur- um, hurrying people along to commit to these races because it's kind of on a, you know, a, a different sets of criteria on how you get in. You know, the full season entrants take priority. Then the Michelin Endurance Cup or the uh, WeatherTech Sprint Cup entries then take priority 
priority, followed by single event entrants in order of their um, uh, their submissions. So a team that submits something last minute as a single entrant may not get into those races or other events too. You never know if you might have a, a big field at Watkins Glen, for instance, being uh, an endurance cup round as well. So um, interesting times. I, I think it's always sort of ebbed and flowed. Um, we haven't had this issue in IMSA since the first year um, post-merger in 2014, but I sort of think we saw a lot of this coming, especially with the growth um, we've seen in GTD. And if I'm not mistaken, this could have an impact on LMP2 if the car count is low. That That is uh, one option that IMSA is holding in reserve if, uh, if if they're having a problem with, with the, the total number of entries and the LMP2 car count is low, LMP2 potentially could be uh, omitted from a race weekend. Is that right? Correct. And I got clarification on this, just making sure I read the, the thing correctly. Um, I talked to the folks at IMSA and they said that is one of the different options they have. Um, they don't say if it will be enacted or not, but um, it appears that we'll only have two full season LMP2 entries um, from Performance Tech and PR1 Matheson Motorsports. Their criteria for a fully subscribed class per IMSA is three cars. So if there's not a third car at Mid-Ohio or uh, uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, IMSA holds the right to basically cancel those races from the LMP2 schedule. And so that would mean an even further loss to that calendar. Um, right now, it's been reduced to eight rounds from the initially 10 announced um, but by them eliminating the, the two street races at Long Beach and Detroit, which make a lot of sense. I think hats off to IMSA. Um, they, they reached out to the, the LMP2 teams. They wanted to see what ways they can help them out and maybe attract some more entries. Um, ultimately, there hasn't been any new entries that have come to fruition, full season at least. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a, I'd say a, at this point, a good possibility we may only be seeing a six round LMP2 season next year, but still waiting official confirmation on IMSA. Uh, and when that comes, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hear it first. Yep, definitely. Okay, so good stuff. Interesting there. For more on those news stories and all the rest of the news from Sports Car Racing, check out sportscar365.com. Coming up next, we've got our end of the off-season IMSA update. We'll let you know who is where and uh, what questions still remain to be answered as far as the conclusion of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Silly Season next on the Double Stint Podcast. Hi, I'm Jerome Liekemolen, and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, let's dive into our uh, look at the end of the silly season and the start of the actual 2019 season, which begins effectively with the official test, the mandatory test at the Roar Before the 24. We're going to go uh, through the different classes team by team. and We've got more to say about some teams than others, those who have their lineups fully sorted and have for some time. We probably won't spend a whole lot of time on, but for the questions that do remain, we'll do our best to answer those for you here. We'll start in the DPI class. Action Express Racing has Pipo Durrani sliding in there after ESM closed doors following the 2018 season, replacing Eric Curran in the full-time lineup. Eric Curran will be in the Michelin 
Endurance Cup races. We know that Mike Conway is back in the number five car for Daytona, as Christian Fittipaldi is also in one of the cars for Daytona, and he is set to retire following that race. So uh, that's a quick look at Action Express. Accurate Team Penske, not a whole lot of changes there. The full season lineup remains unchanged. The only real difference is Alexander Rossi has stepped in for Graham Rahal in the endurance races. For Wayne Taylor Racing, again, same full season lineup. We know that Fernando Alonso and Kamui Kobayashi are in for the 24 hours of Daytona, John. But how about that endurance seat for the other Michelin Endurance Cup races? Do we have any inkling where that might be headed? Well, there, there's a possibility we could see Matthew Vaxiaver for those other races. He was initially tapped to be in the car at Daytona until um, the Alonzo opportunity happened, per se, with, with Wayne Taylor Racing. So uh, if I had to lay any money on someone, I would say it would be Matthew for the, the three remaining uh, Michelin Endurance Cup races, but still yet to be announced. Yeah, that's a good option if you have to have a fallback. He's been pretty fast in uh, what I've seen him race so far here uh, in his young sports car racing career. Hukos Racing up next on our list, a new team. They'll be campaigning Cadillac. Uh, we know Rene Bender, Augustine Canapino, Kyle Kaiser, and Will Owen will be in the car for Daytona. Will Owen is a full-season entrant. Rene Bender is in for the endurance races. Any notion about who might be uh, sliding in alongside Will for the rest of the season? They may take it race by race. I haven't heard anything definitive, but, um, you know, having a, a, a good lineup here, you know, with this Cadillac, they've done a lot of testing already. Um, seems like they're, you know, getting up to speed. Um, Augustine, I believe, has uh, a lot of commitments in South South America with his um, TC2000. So I haven't looked at that schedule in particular to see if it's possible to do all the IMSA races or not. But it, they may end up just sharing it between him and, and Kyle or um, not sure if there's other clashes with, with Kyle's um, commitments in open wheel too. So um, quite honestly, I don't have an answer, but um, we know that Will is definitely in for the season. Yeah, that's good news. Nice to see another team on the grid and looking forward to getting some clarity, hopefully in the coming weeks. Core Autosport, we know their full season lineup will not change. John Bennett and Colin Brown remain. Uh, Loic Duval and Roman Dumas will be the endurance drivers for Daytona as they were last year, which brings us to Mazda Team Yost interesting that uh, we really don't know for sure what the driver lineup is going to be. There had been some rumors, perhaps, of changes in the offing. What do we know at this point, and what might we learn when the uh, official Roar entry list is revealed here in a few days? Yeah, as we're recording this on the 31st of December, you know, it hasn't even been 2019 as we're we're, we're talking right now. Uh, still no announcement from Mazda Team Yost on their lineup. We do know there's two cars entered for the Roar, and that presumably means there'll be two cars for the 24. Um, I know there was an active effort for a potential third Mazda, um, either under the Yoast banner or with another team um, for the WeatherTech Championship season. That other team would have been Spirit of Daytona. Um, ultimately, that fell through at some time during the offseason. I don't really know exactly when, but they were, there was some quite advanced dialogue there. And to my theory, I think that's one of the reasons why we started seeing an inflation 
influx of drivers starting to test those RT24Ps, specifically at Daytona. We saw Timo Bernard and Olivier Pla both turn laps. Um, our sources still indicate they are likely to be part of the lineup one way or another. Um, somebody like Timo, I don't think, will be a full season. Neither of them actually will be a full season because they have other commitments in other championships. Um, so that sort of begs the question, does you know um, somebody like Spencer Pickett or, or Rene Rast return? Um, or do they go with four drivers per car for the 24? You know, you, you could never you know go wrong with doing that either. Um, all indications are that the full season lineup we saw la- last year is re- continuing. All four of those drivers have been testing cars, um, both in Europe and in the U.S. So I'm um, still a bit of TBD, you know, but I'm pretty sure um, we'll see a, a, a good lineup either way it's just more of a case of where does timo and where does uh um, olivier sort of fit into things um should they be officially announced and and while we're on the topic of of mazda team yost uh, expect some other changes um from an engineering standpoint as well it it appears that brad kettler um uh, will be returning to the yost organization working with mazda um next year most likely on an engineering front and um, also news came by this week that lena gade has joined uh, multimatic and from from what we understand it's initially a uk-based job um, on engineering but you know multimatic has a very strong link to mazda and uh, wouldn't surprise me to see her at some races either awesome really interesting stuff so we'll look forward to learning more about that a final confirmed team for dpi jdc miller motorsports two cars on the grid this year in the 84 simon trummer and stephen simpson and they'll be joined by Chris Miller and Juan Pedrojita for Daytona. The big change there is the Gaines Coast sponsorship is unfortunately gone from the team for the upcoming season. Uh, Misha Goikberg and Tristan Vautier, meanwhile, will be driving the number 85, joined by Devlin DiFrancesco and Rubens Barrichello for the 24 hours of Daytona. Pretty cool lineup there. Uh, you mentioned Spirit of Daytona a moment ago. That was one of the teams I had in mind when I was pondering other possibilities. Is there any other DPI program that could come out of the woodwork, maybe not for a full season, but at some point this year, uh, whether it's Spirit of Daytona or someone else? It doesn't look like it, and and it sort of comes down to car availability. Um, the Acuras are exclusive to, to Penske for one more year. Um, Cadillac is basically sold out. Um, they're running enough cars as it is. The only question was that Spirit of Daytona Cadillac. Um, my understanding is that car may have gone to Action Express as a spare chassis. Um, uh, Troy Fliss doesn't have anything right now. I spoke to him at the Michelin on-track opportunity. He was there still trying to work out some kind of deal, but it looks unlikely that they'll be on the grid, um, at least for the start of the year. Um, you know, maybe there is something with that Mazda potentially later in the year. You don't know, but um, Troy indicated that they're still trying to keep their staff uh, employed. He's trying to build up a historic um, car business with the Coyote chassis, the the old DPs um, that are quite active these days in HSR competition. So um, there might be something there to, to keep those guys busy as they still try to work on finding a race program for the future but in terms of any other dpis i i, I don't think it's 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 happening um uh, Liger Automotive, as it's now known, they only built two of the Nissan Anrok DPIs. Both of those have gone to Core, and Core is using the second one as a spare car. So um, that basically locks out any chance of that happening. And um, like I said on the Mazda, I think there might be a potential at some point for a third car, um, but it doesn't look like it is for Daytona at least.
That's a look at DPI. Let's jump now to LMP2. This one should go pretty quickly. We know performance tech intends on running a car. All we know right now is that Chris Wright will be in the car for the season. Uh, Any idea who the other drivers will be? There's plenty floating around with connections to performance tech. Yeah, I think we'll have a pretty familiar lineup. Um, you know, James French, Kyle Masson, uh, Kyle's father, Dr. Robert, has held long ambitions of racing in the Rolex 24. So, hey, that's four drivers right there. Um, I know there was a couple other guys that tested the car um, at the on-track opportunity. If I understand correctly, Chris Wright is really, I think he's only confirmed for the 24 at this point, but um, not sure if how many of these teams will actually announce full season drivers or not because if we're only down to six races um you know a team like performance tech may end up just picking and choosing drivers for certain rounds um a, a little bit of a different story for pr1 matheson though. That, that's right uh, big the big change there being that uh, the afs partnership that was there last year that is gone so it's back to just pr1 matheson motorsports matt mcmurray and gabriel aubrey appear pretty well set is that right yeah, they are confirmed for their full season, whatever number of races that'll end up being for LMP2. But um, that's a really strong lineup. Um, two young guns in the car, a lot of LMP2 experience. Um, it's just a shame that there's only going to be one other car to race against for the bulk of the year because um, it would be really cool to see this car. It'd be really cool to see this driver pairing, I think, in a DPI, quite honestly, because I think they do really well. But um, hey, that's what it is. And um, we'll have to see what happens long-term with LMP2. Yeah, any other entries that are possible? I know that uh, Dragon Speed will have a couple of cars for the Rolex 24. There's some other European teams that are eyeing that race as well. Uh, any of, And then any other teams that, uh, that might run uh, a car in LMP2? Well, the the participation at the Roar is mandatory for any teams doing the Rolex 24. So what we see on the entry list is pretty much final. Um, so that means no other European teams will be doing the Rolex this year. Um, that doesn't preclude them from doing Sebring later in the year. I know Dragon Speed is still... and maybe running one car at at Sebring as well. Um, So what we'll see for the 24, at least, is a four-car LMP2 field. I know there were a few other European teams that were looking. Unfortunately, none of those materialized, and um, it sort of puts the class in in a bit of a question mark for sure. Um, And, you know, we'll we'll have to see where where it goes. Yep, that'll be a story to keep an eye on throughout the year. Let's get to GTLM. Corvette Racing, uh, no changes expected. Haven't seen anything confirmed, but uh, not expecting a whole lot different. Is that right? As far as I know, um, all their six core drivers have been testing the cars. Um, no official driver lineup announcements yet, but um, you know, there's been talk. There always is talk during the off season. Oh, something's going to change, or somebody's testing the car, and usually nothing comes of it. And I think we sort of have to keep it along those lines for now because um, they have a really solid, you know, uh, six driver lineup, and um, I. I, I think at this point, I'd be more surprised than not. I'd be more surprised if there is a change than not. Yeah, I think that's right, especially given as, how successful they've been in recent years. Uh, BMW Team RLL, one big change. Tom Blomquist is in, replacing Alexander Sims, who has 
Formula E commitments now. He'll be joining Connor Filippi, Philip Ang, and Colton Herta will join them in a car for Daytona. Then the sister car will have John Edwards and Jesse Krohn for the full season. Chaz Mostert and Alex Zanardi sharing that car at the Rolex 24 as well. Pretty cool stuff. Risi Competizione. This one does have some big question marks. We saw them test at the, the Michelin on-track opportunity. Miguel Molina, the only confirmed driver right now. Other driver options, how many times do we expect to see them on the grid this year? What do you know about Risi? I, I think we'll see factory drivers alongside fellow works driver Molina, um, probably somebody like Sam Bird or, or David Regan. Um, honestly, they have a lot of drivers to select from at this time of year. Um, the only one that's not able to do it is Tony Vlander, as he's landed a full season ride with the WeatherTech uh, Scuderia Corsa entry in GTD. In terms of other races, I think um, Sebring is also a locked-in race. I think it's confirmed already; hasn't been announced yet. Uh, additional races, I believe. They they want to go back to Lama with a pro car, um, but that's sub- subject to receiving an entry. And that's the latest I've heard on, on the Reese front. I, I don't think we'll be seeing them for the full season. That's a shame, but uh, that's the way things go. Ford Chip Ganassi Racing, any changes expected there? Except deliveries, I, I think that'll be it. Um, they're, they're a bit of suspense right now on what the cars will look like when they show up at Daytona. Uh, they were in a, a flat white um, paint scheme as they were doing some private testing at Daytona earlier uh, in late last year. So um, I'm expecting we're going to get some special deliveries, at least for Daytona or maybe for the full season to, to honor IMSA's 50th anniversary. Okay. And finally, in GTLM, Porsche uh, with Nick Tandy and Patrick Pile back at the number 911. Fred McAvicki in for the endurance races. Earl Bamber and Lawrence Vantor in the number 912 with Matthew Jaminet joining them for the longer races there. Which brings us finally to GT Daytona. A uh, lot of growth in this class. Starworks Motorsport back on the grid, which brings a smile to my face. We know Parker Chase and Ryan Dial will be uh, a pairing for the year. Christopher Hassa and Ezekiel Perez Compact in for Daytona. Cool to see that team back. Uh, FAF Motorsports, we initially had heard they were going to be running just the Sprint Cup, now a full season effort with Scott Hargrove and Zachary Robichon, the Canadians. Uh, Lars Kern and Dennis Olsen in for the Rolex 24. Aim Vassar Sullivan with a couple of cars. Townsend Bell and Frankie Montecalvo will be driving one. Jack Hawksworth and Richard Highstand in the other car. Waiting to hear about endurance drivers there, John. Anything that you've heard about that or any of the other uh, previous two teams that I mentioned? I'm still a bit quiet on the on the AVS Autosport front. I know there's been a lot of drivers talking. Um, last I heard, I think the drivers for Daytona, the fourth drivers, most likely will be coming from Japan, but that's not confirmed yet. Um, I know Lexus has some quick hot shoes there in, in GT500 and even GT300 competition that could be used um, for those seats. And um, going back to the Starworks thing, Parker Chase is not 100% officially confirmed for the year, but it's looking that way. I'd say the chances are 90, 95%, but let's just say, you know, that's how it is right now. Don't want to really commit to anything that's not 100% announced, but I'd say it's definitely likely that Parker and Ryan will be paired up for the full season. What do you know about this Via Italia racing team? 
It's a bit of an intriguing entry right now. I, we know that they're either just a Daytona entry only or um, Michelin Endurance Cup. They're not doing the full season. This name comes from a team that runs in the Brazilian um, uh, GT Championship with the Lamborghini Huracan, yet this car is entered in a, in a Ferra- as a Ferrari. Um, I believe this could be the same lineup of drivers that had been part of um, Scuderia Corsa's um, Brazilian entry quite a few years back. Um, still waiting to see, but um, honestly, I don't really have many details um, just yet on, on this organization. Yeah, we'll check them out at the Roar. More speed on the grid. Will Hardeman and Alex Ribeiris teaming up there. Uh, how about uh, Mercedes-AMG team Riley Motorsports? Haven't heard anything, but it's been kind of quiet out of the Mercedes-AMG camp generally. No changes, I would have to believe, expected with the success that we've seen with Ben Keating and Jerome Bleakamolen. Absolutely. Both of those guys were testing the car um, at the on-track opportunity earlier this month. Um, the team's actually expanding to a GT4 entry for a Michelin Pilot Challenge. So um, exciting stuff along the lines there. And, and going back to the more speed team for a minute, um, Roberis and Hardman are in for this season. And then Andrew Davis is going to be the third driver um, for the Endurance Cup races, which is going to be a really good lineup there. And Marcus Winkelhock um, for Daytona. So that team's going to be really strong as well. No doubt about it. Magnus Racing making the switch to Lamborghini for 2019. Andy Lally and John Potter return for the season. And Spencer Pompelli joining the team for the endurance races. That's cool to see. Uh, Precision Performance Motorsports, a team that uh, has been racing in, in stock car land quite a bit here until relatively recently, made the switch to the Super Trofeo Championship and was quite successful, now making the step up to the WeatherTech Championship. But all we know right now is that uh, one of their drivers will be the Swede, Linus Lundqvist, who is the Sunoco Whelan Challenge winner. We're used to seeing the winner of that prize in one of the Action Express cars, the Whelan-sponsored car in uh, the prototype class. But uh, they've made the change and decided to stick the winner into GT Daytona, and they end up in the PPM Lamborghini, which is kind of cool to see. But uh, other than that... Not a whole lot of information unless I've missed something. No, it's uh, still, uh, I think we're going to get some announcements in the next couple of days here from a lot of these teams trying to uh, put everything out before the, the roar on track activity begins. Meyer Shank Racing, the big news in recent days. Christina Nielsen will step in to replace Jackie Heinricher, who uh, was, had a, suffered an injury in the offseason, so she will not be ready for the Rolex 24. So Christina Nielsen will join the rest of the all-female crew, Catherine Legg, Simona De Silvestro, and Anna Beatriz. Uh, interesting that uh, as, of, as of right now, this is it for Christina Nielsen. What do you know as far as potential options for her? What might be out there uh, beyond Daytona with uh, Meyer Shank Racing? I think she's looking at some options in Blancpain GT World Challenge. Um, it's a little more cost-effective way to go racing with a GT3 car. That would make a lot of sense in her for her to mount a full-season program, as this program with Meyer Schenk looks at least unlikely for, for a full season, as, as Jackie is been announced for a full season driver uh, we would sort of expect jackie to get back behind the wheel at, at sebring um, if she's better so um yeah in terms of christina i think her best chance might be in, in the other uh, gt3 series in, in the u.s and the sister car will be piloted by mario farnbacher and trent hindman that should be a good lineup 
in the number 86 car for the season, Justin Marks. And uh, broadcaster slash race car driver, A.J. Allmendinger, will be in the car in Daytona. He'll also be in the booth at Daytona. So that should be interesting to see as NBC begins its broadcast tenure with the WeatherTech Championship and IMSA more generally. Uh, Paul Miller Racing. We know now that Ryan Hardwick will be slotting into the seat that uh, was vacated by Madison Snow when he got his promotion from silver to gold and then ultimately elected to step away. Brian Sellers will be his co-driver. Corey Lewis is back for the endurance rounds with that team. Scuderia Corsa, you mentioned this earlier briefly. Tony Vlander in for the season alongside Cooper McNeil. Dominic Farnbacher and Jeff Westfall will be in the car alongside in Daytona. Any update on Alessandro Balzan, who was slated to do the full season with Cooper last year and uh, had a medical procedure and Subsequently, it appears, has not been cleared to drive. Uh, have you heard anything about his potential availability at some point? Yeah, that's pretty much the latest. Um, doctors have not cleared him um, due to, I wouldn't say a complication. I'm just, uh, it's hard to sort of put into words, you know, what we can sort of say publicly. But he's doing well as a person. He's He was at the track all last year. I hope he's still going to be around this year. I'm not sure the, the situation that... The weather tech folks have him. Is is he employed through them or with Scuderia Corsa for this year or elsewhere? But um, it'll be great to see Alessandro back behind the wheel, but we just don't really know when. How about P1 Motorsports? I mentioned earlier when talking about uh, the, the Riley operation, just haven't heard a lot about uh, what the Mercedes teams are doing. This is one of them. What do we know about uh, what to expect from them this year? Well, they're planning a full-season program, so that's a step up over their Michelin Endurance Cup effort last year. Um, look for a factory driver to, to pair with J.C. Perez. I'm thinking, I'm hearing, it's Maxi Book, although, not uh, again, not 100% confirmed. We, I guess we'll, we should know in the next couple of days, but um, they're, they're definitely making a very serious effort. Um, they ordered a brand-new Mercedes-AMG GT3 uh, shipped from Germany, so they'll have a second car. Uh, I believe the new car will be this, the primary car, and they'll be using their last year's car as a spare. So um, quite a serious effort for these guys, and I, I think they're you know definitely looking for some good success. Yeah, a big part of uh, the rebirth of this class. It's it's really gone uh, and grown nicely in, in the offseason, and that's, that's seeing them step up as a part of that, certainly, as is the return as in a full-season capacity of Park Place Motorsports. Patrick Lindsay and Patrick Long set to pair for the year. Nick Buelli in for the Endurance Cup races. Turner Motorsport, we have some idea of what their season's going to look like. Bill Oberlin joined by Robbie Foley with Dylan McAvern and Jens Klingman in for Daytona. Uh, how about Black Swan Racing? What might we expect out of them this year? Uh, good question. <laughs> uh, I, I think that it will be a limited program at, at best. I, I think maybe Daytona only or maybe the endurance races. Um, that team is committed again for the Intercontinental GT Challenge. And um, that's going to make it a bit of a logistical challenge for this team because the Bathurst 12-hour is right after um, the week after Rolex 24. And I think they may be the only team doing both. So um, it'll be interesting to, to see how that out but um, nonetheless yeah um, good to see another Porsche on the grid another new Porsche 911 GT3R I'm sure Tim Pappas will be behind the wheel and we'll have to figure out the rest of the lineup uh, as it gets a little closer and speaking of new cars Compass Racing making the step to GTD and uh, bringing McLaren into the fold for the Sprint Cup races Paul Holton and Matt Plum 
set to pilot that car, which uh, was was pretty successful in its racing debut in Abu Dhabi at uh, the Gulf 12 Hours. So uh, how about anything else you wanted to highlight in GTD for Daytona-only programs or other partial season teams? A team like 3GT, for instance, which had made some noises about trying to stay on the grid even after losing its uh, Lexus program. What else might be floating around that uh, we could see on track at some point? Yeah, 3GT was working really hard to get two Porsches on the grid. They actually hit an agreement with at least one driver. Um, that's put that's put that driver out in the search, you know, the searching front and trying to get a ride after he was more or less, he claimed he was more or less assured of a drive with that program, but unfortunately it didn't come to fruition. Um, other partial season entries, I think you'll see, th- you know, at least three or four other Sprint Cup only teams um, get announced in, in the weeks to come. Uh, a second McLaren is very likely, um, either run by Compass or by another team for the Sprint Cup races. Uh, also, um, we see a, some Daytona-only entries, um, Spirit of Race with Paul Dalilana in a, in a Ferrari. Um, Paul was initially trying to get an Aston Martin on the grid. He, he has the order number one of the new GT3 spec Vantage, and that was the initial plan. Don't know how that fell through in the offseason, but he's back with the AF Corsa run operation for Daytona. Um, we also have a couple other Daytona-only entries, including one from Herberth Motorsport, um, the uh, team that that took part in ADAC GT Masters that gave Matthew um, Jaminet the, the driver's title over there along with Robert Renauer. They're teaming up with NGT Motorsports. It's actually going to be run under the NGT banner for Daytona. I believe that's a Daytona entry only as well. Okay, so that's a look at where uh, where what we know, what the, the grid should look like when we get to Daytona for the Roar and a little bit further down the road as well for a couple of these entries. So uh, exciting Time's ahead. Looking forward to getting to Daytona for that. And uh, with that in mind, we'll take a break and come back and give a quick preview of what to expect from the Roar Before the 24 next on Double Stint. Hey, this is Colin Brown, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on the Double Stint Podcast, and time now to... A quickly preview what we've got coming up this week, John. Headed down to Daytona to kick off the 2019 season in style with the roar before the 24. 47 cars entered and uh, some interesting lineups, interesting run uh, one-offs that that we tend to see this time of year. Uh, some some drivers that uh, that fly in for this race that you don't get to see stateside all that often. So, what are you looking forward to, to seeing? First of all, take to the track during the roar, and um, in general, what are you looking to learn? Well, I think it's always the the first time of everything in the in the beginning of the year is always exciting and there's a lot of importance behind it, you know, seeing who's ready, who's not, um, um, what some late last minute driver lineup announcements are made or drivers maybe not having confirmed rides just yet. Uh, we have a lot still up in the air, like we just went through this whole list, you know, there's still quite a few announcements to come from, from some of these teams. Um, also, BOP is going to be a big talking point, especially now with uh, the class separation between DP and LMP2. The LMP2 cars have been slowed slightly with extra weight and um, some gear uh, uh, rev limiter changes as well as um, a mandated uh, Lama style gear cluster, which should um, actually be probably better for them at Daytona, but at other tracks, uh, they'll be at a big disadvantage there. So, um, yeah, lots of excitement, I think, as always. And 47 is a good number. You know, a lot of people 
might have said, oh, we could use another 10 cars. But I still remember that first year in 2014. And I think it was 60 or 63. And that was just too many cars on track. It was chaos in pit, pit lane. Um, I, I think this is a real quality field we have for, for the Roar and for the, the Rolex 24. Yeah, I'm in agreement. It's a good number. Uh, I know last year's race didn't have uh, the cautions that people were accustomed to, but and it made for a different Rolex 24 than we've seen. I, I don't think that we're going to see a repeat of that, even with the car count sitting where it is, less than what we've seen in the past. Uh, but but that said, I think uh, a chance for some clean running is a good thing, and uh, I look forward to, to what's to come. Also really excited about uh, the beginning of the Michelin era. Cont- Continental did a ton for IMSA, there's no doubt about it, and I, I know the, IMSA, the, the Michelin folks rather are excited to, to build on their legacy. They've been involved in the championship for some time, obviously, with GTLM and going back to previous versions of the championship before the merger. But this is a chance for them to really put their stamp on on IMSA and sports car racing, uh, endurance sports car racing in North America. And I think they got some pretty big plans. Absolutely. And, and the commitment they've already made has been um, astounding, you know. Just looking at their setup at the at the on track opportunity, um, more more staff coming, more trucks, more tires. Um, the logistical challenge here, you know, uh, with Continental, you know, being the exclusive tire provider for all these years, they had to ship those tires from in in Indiana to the other races. Here, all these tires are made in France, and so talk about you know getting them on boats and making sure there's enough lead time. And what if there's a delay on the boat? And that's just one little element of it. Then you. You add the marketing, then you add the activation, the the support um, from the to the teams with the, the the technicians and the engineers, and while maintaining all of their presence in GTLM with the confidential tires and and different compounds at different races and declarations and RFID chips, and it goes on and on and on. So um, lots and lots and lots at play at Michelin, but very very exciting times to sort of see them jump into the championship and, and fully embrace the the IMSA world. And they'll be a lot of track time, plenty of running time for these teams on uh, the Michelin rubber during the course of the roar. But uh, one storyline will be the reduced running time for GT Daytona and an effort to try and save cost. We won't see the, the GTD cars on track quite as much. Yeah, it's a two-day show for them. So they um, pack up Saturday evening they actually qualify for their pit positions i believe on saturday afternoon the rest of the field does it on sunday afternoon so um saves them a day of hotel and, and track running and we'll see if it really means anything at the end but um imsa's really tried to clamp down on the amount of testing for for this year and also um you know there's no more sebring official test i know there's teams that'll still be doing sebring testing privately but um that goes into their allocated um testing times so um, certainly, you know, I, I think IMSA is trying to do everything they can to to make um, GTD and the entire WeatherTech Championship more cost effective for for competitors. Awesome. Well, should be a fun trip down to to Florida. Looking forward to seeing cars on track once again and get the 2019 season started. John, thanks for spending some time with us on the podcast, and look forward to seeing you down in Florida. Absolutely. All right. That's it for us this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you have a question for our next show, be sure to leave it in the comments section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStin. That's it for us this week. Talk to you next week with our post-Roar Before the 24 edition of the Double Stint Podcast. 